It's good to be with you guys this morning. This morning we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 28. Um, we're going to dive into a passage this morning that is not often looked at. Um, and there are several reasons for that. It's, it's kind of a difficult passage for uh, particularly those of us who have grown up in a modern context. A context that tells us that we live in a natural world and the supernatural is just a figment of our imagination. Uh, this morning we're going to come face to face with occultic practices of necromancy. We're going to encounter a, a witch, uh, an individual who acts as a medium to speak with familiar spirits. Uh, we would label those familiar spirits as demonic spirits. Uh, as we look at scripture, we've, I would testify this morning that I believe that uh, those individuals cannot reach the dead. They cannot uh, speak with those who um, have passed on and, and gone uh, to the grave. Uh, but that the spirits that they speak to, those familiar spirits, are demonic entities that disguise themselves as familiar spirits. But what's interesting about our passage this morning is we get a little bit different turnout with this encounter. Now, our story this morning involves uh, really one person in particular, and that's really what this is all about, is about this individual and his track record of disobedience. Saul, the first king that was anointed to be ruler over Israel, is who we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, we could spend a lot of time this morning looking at Saul's story, but we're going to focus in on one of the last events of his life. You see, Saul, while being anointed king over Israel, had a, didn't have a great track record of being obedient to the commands of the Lord. Often we find Saul talk, taking things into his own hands and ignoring the instructions that the Lord had given him through the prophet Samuel. He had a track record of not listening to the commands of God. He many times disregarded the words of the Lord, all at the same time trying to reap the benefits that came with knowing the Lord. If we were to take an in-depth look this morning at Saul, we would find that Saul was mostly governed by his emotions, mostly fear. As we look back at many of the uh, moments of disobedience in Saul's life that was driven by fear, not fear of God, but fear of man. Fear of those around him, fear of his enemies, fear of his companions. And it's with this backdrop this morning that we find Saul operating once again in our passage this morning. So join me as we begin to look at this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 28. Starting in verse 5. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. 
It's an interesting passage. It's, it's not something that we see often in Scripture. Anytime we see the reference to a medium or a necromancer or a witch or a sorcerer, we see condemnation. If we were to go through the laws that God laid out for Moses in Exodus and Deuteronomy and, and look at what God prescribed, we would see that this was a capital offense. That the act of trying to contact the dead, the act of divination, trying to tell the future, the act of trying to read the signs, the act of interpreting omens, were all wrapped up in occult practices that the Lord forbid. And these weren't minor incursions of disobedience. These were capital offenses. They were, would require the death penalty had you been caught. And what's interesting this morning is that Saul knows this. Saul knows that this is a capital offense because if we were to look back in verse 3, we see that Saul was actually enacting this law himself. Not only did God's law prescribe such a harsh penalty for this act, but Saul was enforcing it three verses before he requests it. Verse 3, it says, Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and necromancers out of his land. Saul was actively working to enforce the laws that God had laid out for those who would try to contact the dead, those who would practice occult practices. Now this morning, as we begin to look at this, we, we need to understand that this is not something that is foreign to our own times. Over the last several decades, witchcraft has grown substantially. There are, no, there, are, there are now more practicing witches in the United States than there are Presbyterians. When we turn on the TV, we are inundated with the supernatural. We are fed stories of people contacting the dead. We, we have TV shows that are dedicated to chasing down ghosts and trying to figure out what is going on. And in our culture, in this you-do-you culture, this is only growing even faster. One of the most popular podcasts out there, the Joe Rogan Experience, it doesn't take you long to, to even listen to a highlight of that to find out, find somebody speaking about contacting the other side through experimental drugs and psychedelics. This is something that is real. This is something that happens around us today. This is something that God hates. Saul knows this. At least he's heard it. He, he's acted on this truth. But yet, he's seeking one out. This morning, if I, I tried to come up with a title for this, and, and I threw some different ideas around, but I think really what encapsulates this story that we're going to read is that it speaks of when disobedience comes home to roost. Paul, or Paul, Saul, while he was anointed to be king, while he was in a place of power and prestige, 
while he was even acting for the Lord, was living in disobedience to him and in rebellion against him. Saul is desperate. His enemies are around him. He doesn't know what to do. So he seeks out God. He, he, he inquires. He, it says in verse 5 that when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid. He's being ruled by his emotions again. And his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. And Saul tried everything he could. He, he tried dreams. He tried the Urim and he tried the prophets. These were all ways that God had prescribed to the Israelites to get confirmation. These are all ways that God had used to speak to his people. But Saul was not a very patient person. We see this because of some of his other acts of disobedience where he wouldn't wait for Samuel on one specific occasion to make a sacrificial offering where he makes that offering himself and, and goes against what God had prescribed. This, his impatience, his fear governed him and in this he was disobedient. So three verses later, Paul is now seeking out a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. He wanted to go to this individual this, this individual who supposedly contacts the dead in order to get some kind of insight, some kind of answer in what he's supposed to do. Would there be victory on the battlefield? Should we not attack? What should we do? He's looking for guidance. And what's interesting about this story is God's already told Saul what's going to happen. God's already given instruction. He's already spoken through Samuel to Saul about what's going to take place. Back in Samuel chapter 15, Saul is uh, being obedient to the Lord for a little bit. Uh, he, he's going to the Amalekites. They're, they're going to go in. The Lord specifically gave them instructions to go to the Amalekites and to, to wipe them out. Destroy everything. Leave nothing. Leave no person. Leave no animal. Leave nothing. But Saul doesn't do that. Saul disobeys and uh, doesn't heed the words of the Lord. He spares the king. He spares the best animals. And his reasoning for this is so that he could bring it back and s sacrifice it to the Lord. Now in Saul's mind, he's probably thinking, well... I know God told me to destroy all this, but I think it would be better if I just brought this back and sacrificed all these good things to the Lord. We don't know what was going through Saul's head. We don't know exactly what was taking place, but he was disobedient in that act. And in that disobedience, he is then confronted by the prophet Samuel. There's a phrase in here, there's a, there's a sentence in here that's very familiar to us probably. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, 
and presumption is as an inquiry in iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul had a track record of disobedience. And this disobedience to the Lord had put Saul in a position where the Lord was no longer going to honor him as king and he was going to replace him. Now we know the individual that he was going to replace him with, David. Uh, there's a lot of fighting that's going on between uh, 15 and, and the passage that we're in now in chapter 28 between David and Saul. There's a lot of struggle there that I would encourage you to go back and study and to, and to look into what was going on. But Saul had heard from the Lord. Saul knew of his disobedience. And that disobedience brought with it consequences. And those consequences were that he would no longer be king. Now maybe he was seeking out the Lord to figure out, was he going to die? What was going to happen in this battle? Would he have victory now and be able to escape? What was going to take place? We can imagine the fears that might be welling up in Saul, knowing what the Lord had said, but yet trying to live in rebellion to that knowledge. Trying to do everything he could to get some other answer. Some other explanation. He's probably seen these armies arise and, and probably in fear for his life. Knowing what the Lord had said, but yet still not wanting to acknowledge it. So he seeks out someone else besides the Lord. There's a woman who was a medium Verse 8, so Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. Now, it's a good implication that Saul knows he's probably doing something wrong. He, he's disguised himself. He's made sure that he doesn't look like he is the king. He's going at night, so he's not visibly seen going to this medium. And they come to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall say, name to you. Divine for me a spirit. It echoes back to the condemnation that Samuel gave in chapter 15. That rebellion is as divination. Saul was actively living in rebellion against the Lord. And so blinded by this rebellion, he went headlong into it. Seeking out not the Lord, but a familiar spirit. The woman said to him, surely you know that Saul has done what Saul has done. How he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why, are the, why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? You can imagine Saul hearing that. Was his conscience so seared at this moment that the reminder that he himself was 
enforcing this law against these mediums at one time? Did, did that cut him or was he so calloused that it didn't faze him? We don't know. But here the woman knows the truth and, and she reminds Saul of it. But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Here we have Saul living in disobedience, rebelling against the Lord, but yet calling on the name of the Lord, the covenant name of the Lord, Yahweh. Anytime in your Old Testament, when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is Yahweh. He uses the name of the Lord, Yahweh, and swears by Yahweh that nothing will take place. She will not be punished. Which flies in direct contradiction to what Yahweh had given the people on what should happen to such a person. Saul's disobedience had pushed him so far Then the woman said in verse 11, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. Bring up Samuel for me. Saul had relied on Samuel when he was alive. Samuel's the one that anointed Saul. Samuel's the one that gave Saul instruction. Samuel's the one that proclaimed to Saul that the kingdom would be taken away from him. Saul knew that he could get answers from Samuel because he'd always gotten answers from Samuel. Even in his disobedience, even though he didn't want to do what the Lord had said, he wanted to rely on what God had said. He wanted the benefits without having to actually do anything about it. What's interesting is what takes place next. Verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out loud with a voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Now, the question is, is what's going on here? And throughout church history, commentators, uh, Scholars of the Bible have, have debated on what was taking place here. Was it really Samuel? Was it a demonic entity masquerading as Samuel? What was going on? There are some that would say that it was just a demonic entity. That this, this familiar spirit was disguising itself as Samuel. But I tend to side with what some commentators point out is that this woman's surprised. She's surprised at what she's seen. This woman who was a practicing medium, a practicing individual who would contact the spiritual realm was surprised. It wasn't probably what she was expecting. So much so that she cried out with a loud voice. 
And in that moment, she recognized who it was that she saw and who Saul was. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. I see a God coming up out of the earth. Now, this word here should not throw us off. It's not talking about big G God. Uh, The Hebrew word here is Elohim. And and what that basically is trying to describe is it's a divine being. Not necessarily God, but a divine being, a being from the other side, a, a being that's not of this world. A being of the spiritual realm. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Now we don't know if Saul was actually seeing Samuel or if it was just the medium that saw Samuel. But... Either way, they're communicating through this medium. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. Samuel, I don't understand. I'm scared. I'm I'm in distress. The, the, The armies of the Philistines are around me. I've gone to God, but yet he doesn't answer. Now, if we look back at Saul's life, we can see why God's not answering. Saul didn't want anything to do with God until he was in trouble. He didn't want to be obedient. He just wanted an easy way out. He wanted to know the future so that he could act accordingly. He didn't really want God. He just wanted the benefits he could get from God. And Samuel said in verse 16, Why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Samuel replies to Saul, says, you already know. The Lord's already spoken to you. The Lord's already revealed this to you. You know what's going to take place. You know you're going to lose the kingdom. It's going to be stripped away from you because of your disobedience with the Amalekites. Samuel was the one that gave that message to Saul. And here he is reminding him again. But there's more. Verse 19 says, Moreover, 
The Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Saul, not only has your disobedience led you to a place where you're going to lose the kingdom, tomorrow you're going to lose your life because of what you have done today. Because of your disobedience, because of your rebellion, your life will be required of you. And we know if we jump forward into chapter 31 that this does take place. Saul's sons are killed in battle. But what's interesting is what Saul does. Saul, in total rebellion against God, doesn't even want anyone else but himself to be in control of his death. Saul takes his sword in battle and he falls on it and kills himself. Saul lived a disobedient life. Saul knew the words of the Lord. Saul knew what God required. But Saul thought he knew better. Saul thought he could be in control. His fear of others, his fear of what would happen, his his emotions controlled what he did, not what God had revealed. Saul's continued disobedience led him to his death. Dying an enemy of God when he was once anointed a king by God. It's really a sad story. That an individual would be given so much, called to do a great work, and yet reject that blessing, reject the words of the Lord, reject and rebel against God. That rejection, that, that disobedience, it grew. It grew from the time when he didn't do what God told him to do with the Amalekites to a more severe case where he's contacting the dead. Which brings us to the question in the back of our minds, was it really Samuel? I would argue this morning, loosely, that it was. But it wasn't because Saul did anything or because the medium did anything, but because God stepped in and spoke to Saul one last time. The day before his life would be required of him. So what do we do with this? What do we do when we come to a passage like this in Scripture, what do, what, do we, what do we do? How does this apply to our life? This, this really happened. 
It's a historical account of what took place. I think the main thing that Saul's life shows us, especially in this passage here, and really with all of Saul's track record, is that it can be summed up in what Samuel told Saul after his disobedience with the Amalekites. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. This morning, we too, like Saul, have received the word of the Lord. We have God's revelation to us and that we have all that we need to know God and to live the life God has called us to live. Our charge this morning is the same as it was for Saul. Obey the word of the Lord. Many times we, like Saul, let our emotions take control. And with that, we throw out what God has revealed to us. Saul had the information, he had all the information he needed to lead Israel, and yet he still disobeyed. All he had to do was be obedient, and God would have taken care of the rest. This morning, Saul stands as a warning to all of us that we must take God's word seriously. We must obey it and submit to it. We are not to take things into our own hands or our understandings. We are not to seek out other avenues of knowing what to do. We are to take God at his word and live in faith and obedient faith to what he has revealed to us. Saul didn't want to listen. He didn't want to obey. He wanted to do his own thing. There's a temptation that all of us face, and if we look at our broader culture, it's really summarizes the world we live in. Everybody wants to do their own thing. Everyone's to find for themselves what is true, what is right. They want to define for themselves even what they are. Something they have no control over, but yet they still do it. We live in a culture of rebellion, a culture of death. A culture that doesn't want anything to do with God, but wants everything that the spiritual world has to offer. It's interesting, uh, the parallels between our society today and, and the society that Saul was living in. Because the same practices that were going on in their day are going on today. Whether it be witchcraft, whether it be sorcery, whether it be mediumship, whether it be reading omens, whether it be sacrificing children, all of those things are wrapped up in pagan occult practices. They're all acts of worship. They're all acts of religious duty. And if we're not careful, we can be sucked into those things and forget that God has spoken to us, that God has revealed us what He wants for us in His Word. Our culture wants to find solutions to all the problems in the world, and they want to look everywhere except for right here. Many churches today 
want to look everywhere except for right here. They want to look to sociology to, to figure out what's going on in the world. They want to look to vain philosophies like critical race theory, intersectionality. They want to look for salvation in everything but this. But all those acts of rebellion lead to one place. That is death. Not only will it bring death and destruction in the physical, but it brings death and destruction in the spiritual as well. When we don't heed the words of God, when we don't strive for obedience to them, it's not as though we just stay on a level playing field. You're either going one way or going the other. Every act of disobedience will lead you to a greater act of disobedience. And Saul is that case study for us to look at this morning that, that in his disobedience, his continued disobedience, he went so far to doing the very thing he knew he wasn't supposed to do, doing the very thing that he was punishing people for doing. He was probably putting people to death himself for doing. But so quickly he turned to that. We must ground ourselves in the Word of God. Know the Word of God. And seek to apply it to our life. Our greatest act of listening, our greatest act of obedience this morning isn't really an act in and of ourselves like we've been discussing through our Roman series, but it's an act that God does in our life. That as we hear the Word of God, as we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, we confess and we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. That we become new creations in Christ because of what he's done for us on the cross. It's at that point that we begin our life of obedience. It's at that point that we submit ourselves to God knowing that there is nothing we can do to please him. There's no sacrifice that we can make. There's no offering that we can give that will ever please God except the offering and the sacrifice of His own Son that He gave on our behalf. In Christ, as Peter tells us, we have been given all things for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. This is how we know Him. You get to know Jesus right here. Not through meditation, not through other religious spiritual practices, but getting to know what God has said. And it's tough because there's a lot of forces in our culture today that want to push us in all the different directions, even forces that claim to be Christian. One of those leading forces, and, and I'll wrap up here real soon, but one of those leading forces is of the hyper-charismatic movement, specifically Bethel Church in Redding, California, pastored by Bill Johnson. You've probably heard 
music from them from Jesus Culture, their worship band. That's a, a group of individuals that push practices that God forbids. Contacting the spirit world. Divining angels. Reading fortunes. Practices that I'm not even going to go into detail about this morning because we just don't, we don't need that. And they push it as righteousness. They push it as what God would want. They push it as redeeming something that God calls irredeemable. But it's here. But the way that we combat those things is not by diving in and learning all about them. It's not about figuring out where they are, trying to figure out all the answers to all those questions. It's about getting to know who God is and His Word and, and getting to know what God has prescribed to us so that when we come to those moments of practices that we should avoid, of, of things that we shouldn't do, we know because we know the Word of God. That we can discern what is true because we know what truth is. This morning, as, as Noah comes up and and plays our invitation. I, I want us to, to really think about this. Are we being obedient? Now the reason we're, we should be obedient is because God commands us to be obedient, but we don't do that as believers and in order for God to be pleased with us because we know that no act of sacrifice, no act of uh, giving of ourselves is going to please God because what God has taught us through the gospel but that God has been satisfied, God is pleased with us because of what Jesus did on the cross and that we can go to God free of our sin, free of our guilt, knowing that that sin, that guilt has been wiped away because of what Jesus did on the cross. So that our acts of obedience are now acts of worship, not in order to get something back from God, but in order to give back to God what He has already given to us. Out of the overabundance of His grace and His mercy, He has given us so much in Jesus Christ that, that our response should be to be obedient. To serve Him. But we cannot do that if we don't know this. We can't get it anywhere else either. To look anywhere else would be foolish. If you're at a place this morning where, where you recognize, I've been living in disobedience. The good news is what John tells us in, in 1 John is that Jesus is faithful to forgive us. That if we go to Him, He's faithful to forgive every time. Because he paid for that sin. That when I, when I screw up, when I'm in Christ, when I screw up tomorrow, I'm no farther away 
from God. No more, God is no more displeased with me tomorrow than he is with me today. He's pleased with me because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But even in my mistakes, my failures, Christ says I paid for that. This morning, maybe you've been living in disobedience. You just need to turn it over to God and say, God, I'm going the wrong direction. I haven't been listening to what you've told me in your word. Father, forgive me for that and help me to move forward and serve you in gratitude. This morning, maybe you're not in that position. Maybe you have never come to Christ. This morning, maybe you're living just in complete rejection to God. Maybe you've dabbled in the spiritual world. Maybe you've dabbled with things that have opened up doors that you don't need open. Maybe it's brought turmoil to your life. This morning, if you call on Christ, He will set you free. He'll wipe away your sin. He'll wipe away that guilt. He'll place you on His firm foundation.